Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. This is your host, Doctora Yvette, and today we have an episode on the topic of breaking barriers and what you need to know about disability, education, and inclusion as a first-generation student. Our guest is Victoria Andrea Bracamonte, and she has a bachelor's degree in English language arts, secondary education, as well as a master's degree in education. Her current research focuses on evaluating how the use of assistive technology devices throughout academic curriculum grants students the opportunity to evidence academic improvement. She advocates for educational spaces which propel student growth, demonstrate awareness of their needs, and value their individual journeys to success. As an educator with a disability, she uses her own experiences to evidence the significance of sharing our story and practicing self-advocacy to navigate the educational system. Welcome so much to the podcast, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just um, thankful to be in this space today. I am so thankful to have you here too. I would love for you to get us started by sharing a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and if you're open to it, sharing a little bit more about your background and backstory. I'd love to hear more about how you became who you are today. Of course. Well, let me start off by um, saying uh, my journey in education started um, about seven years ago when I decided that I wanted to provide support for students who had difficulty in academics, um, either at the primary level, but also those who were transitioning from secondary school over to college. And so um, at that time, I decided that I was going to offer tutoring services, and I started to, um, you know, talk to people from my community and say, this is what I have to offer. And so I remember one of my first students was a, a fifth grade student who had a learning disability. And um, through time and about three years of just strategy development, he became, um, he demonstrated a lot of improvement and he was able to transition into regular ed. And so um, that was kind of that moment where I said, I understand the importance of strategy development mm. and actually getting to sit with students at an individual level. But it was when I started to sit with them myself that I recognized this is the key factor that also helped me in my journey. And mm. so um, I was born premature. Um, and as a result of that, uh, there was a obstruction of oxygen to the brain which caused the cerebral palsy diagnosis, um, spastic cerebral palsy to be more specific, which is um, characterized by muscle rigidness. And so um, the right, my right hand, um, it, it didn't have uh, movement. And so I started school having difficulty, you know, holding a pencil and doing all these um, activities like cutting. And so I remember one of the strategies that my occupational therapist used was having me do letter formation uh, in shaving cream. And so that's when I understood like how important it was to not only have the correct strategy, but also have the correct tools. Mm -hmm. Because I remember I also, I also had special scissors. And so that's kind of what started um, at the college level, my interest for assistive technology. And so my research isn't just that, um, how to use the assistive technology and combine it with proper strategies. Because I think the misconception is um, you give students a laptop and if they have a writing difficulty, there's this expectation for us to improve. And of course that's mm. gonna happen. But there's also 
the need to use the correct strategy. Like, for example, you gave the student the laptop. Okay, but you have to answer all these supplemental questions. Um, how much do you, expect, do you expect the student to write on a daily basis? Um, how are you going to teach grammar? And so my premise is um, strategy and tools need to coexist in order for them to be effective. And so that's uh, where my research lands. Um, what type of uh, technology is useful? And I evaluated um, in my master's project, I evaluated Asperger's um, syndrome, dyslexia, and uh, cerebral palsy. And so um, one of the things that I always communicate um, in the education field is uh, to make sure that we have the correct definition of what equity is. Because uh, in the education field, we sometimes think um, if, we give if we give every student a laptop, uh, that's equality. And so <laughs> the real uh, equality factor is give the student the laptop, but have that conversation. Besides the laptop, does the student need another tool to be successful? And so uh, also think about like supplemental um, input from other professionals. Does the student have a communication with a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, a behavior therapist? And so the, the goal of teachers should be to take the input from all professionals and then be able to make a comprehensive plan of teaching that is unique to that student mm -hmm. and of course it's going to take it's going to take time and it's going to take a lot of investment but in the long run it's going to be effective and so that was basically my journey because I remember that um, there was nothing that stood alone there was a lot of parental support um, specifically for my grandmother um, she was my advocate um, mm. she has raised me ever since I was three and wow. so yeah, she was the one that taught me, like, you're supposed to advocate for yourself, like, you're your own voice. If you need something, um, make it known, because um, that's that's a way that you're going to know what you're capable of. And so just communicate your needs and make yourself heard in a very polite way, but make sure that your voice um, is heard, because there's other people that might need to also hear from your experience. And so I learned that to be very powerful because I, in the process of wanting to advocate for myself, I also learned what my voice and what my needs were and, and during specific periods in my life. And so advocacy was a very important part of my journey um, in order for me to get into higher education. And that like accompanied me um, through the rest of my, journey, of my journey, you know, talking to um, disability services, the learning center, about having, I remember one of the things that I struggled a lot with um, in college was like typing. Um, and so just because like the muscle movement in my right hand um, is, does still at some point give me some challenge. And so I had to really be an advocate for, um, can I have um, a typist help me, you know, transcribe what I speak. And mm -hmm. so that, that challenge gave me the ability to discover how good of a communicator I could be because I didn't have a chance sometimes to look at my paper until after, but I was communicating my ideas just by speaking all the time. And so you learn the abilities and you discover um, your critical thinking capacities and everything that you're able to accomplish through challenges itself. And so that change in perspective um, it really helps you to become more aware of your way of thinking, but also more aware of how you can better advocate for yourself. And so that's how I would describe um, a lot of my journey, having that support from, uh, you know, my grandmother, advocacy, uh, proper communication with educators and other supplemental staff, I think was critical me to experience success and be able to even bring this research forward and really discover um, what the implications of successful assistive technology are in the classroom and the effects that that has on academic achievement. 
Thank you so much for giving such a detailed response. I appreciate that you shared both about your like how you grew up and your experience getting support through your grandma through a team of different specialists who helped you but then also what you learn in terms of tools and strategies and uh, just the support that that's a very individualized type of support that disabled students need but what um, I wanted you to maybe expand a little bit more on uh, in terms of the differences between K through 12 and college, because I know that that transition can be a barrier, especially when you go from K through 12 and you might have a team, you might have an occupational therapist, a physical therapist and other folks who might be supporting you. You might have an IEP and then you go to college and all of a sudden it's different and there's a disability services office or accessibility services office. And like you said, you might be handed a laptop and not 100% receive the support you need unless you know how to advocate for yourself. So can you expand a little bit more about that transition or even your own personal experience? I know you mentioned some of your struggles, like for instance, with typing, like you said, um, but yeah, how, how has your journey going to college influenced your trajectory and, and what was that transition like for you? Um, initially, it was very scary to put it in a in one word, um, because I didn't know how I was going to thrive in this environment because everything just looked, you know, it's it campus was huge. And so I had to think about like all these elements, how was I going to navigate campus? How was I going to get to class on time? And so I think one of the things that really made a difference for me was, um, that my campus is very open to having like campus tours. And so even when I was doing my search for a campus, I knew that accessibility was really important for me. And so um, I was very blessed to be able to go into a campus that um, had like signs and there wasn't like a lot of distance between classrooms, but also um, there was this, uh, system available where I could call campus safety and they could give me a ride from one class to another um, in a golf cart. And so like these accessibility um, factors were really important for me to be able to know about so that I would be able to advocate. And so one of the things that I did was I got to know my campus, but I also got to know the people around campus that I know could be a resource to me, even before I started going to actual class. Like I started to ask questions about um, the disability resource center, the learning center, what were the implications in order to be able to get their services? Like what type of paperwork did I need to take in order to um, do verification of disability and what services were available? And so one of the things that was helpful and I think that continues to be helpful in any context is um, early exposure mm. and early preparation and even though that can be scary um, the early exposure and the the getting to know the people that are on the campus that you want to be part of is a really um, important aspect because they're going to be there's going to be people on that team that are going to be critical to your success and so the more that we become immersed in that. I remember I had my first college tour in eighth grade because I was part of the AVID program. And mm. that was that tour of that campus was the day I said, okay, I'm determined that I'm going to go to college. I don't know if it's here, but I know that I love the environment. I know that I love to learn and I know that I want to be a part of it. And so like the early immersion instills the hunger in my journey and so once you have the hunger for it then you go after the resource and so resource and hunger to be there and that yearning to make a difference is what's going to keep us going and so mm -hmm. but i think just like exposure that's mm -hmm. that's the very short answer like to be able to know how you're going to navigate something you need a roadmap and so mm -hmm. in order to be able to create that roadmap you need to understand surroundings. And so that's what I did. I 
I communicated my story early on. Like there was times where if the professor that I had for class didn't know about my struggles, like two, two weeks before um, the class would start or a week before, or even a few days before I would email my professor and I would introduce myself and say, hi, my name is Victoria and uh, this is my major and I just I'm going to be part of your class and I just wanted to say like these are some of my needs um, please communicate with me if you need me to prepare in alternative ways or even another thing that's really important is to cultivate maybe face-to-face -face conversations through office hours. I think um, while written communication when it's done well um, it can be a good source of communication. I think face-to-face -face conversations are really powerful um, because the professor is getting to know you on a more personal level, but you're also advocating through a different form of communication. And so you're just elaborating on something that's probably already written. Um, and so just starting with having your roadmap and then early communication like if early communication happens it keeps them it keeps the communication flowing throughout the semester and also being open about what's going on in your life because one of the things about disability is um you know you can something can be perfectly fine on tuesday and then wednesday comes and nothing is fine oh my and gosh so, like, tell me about yeah. it yeah. <laughs> we, so I just like, want to say really quickly, sorry to interrupt. Okay. We had to reschedule our our recording because of me getting, mm -hmm. you know, like flare-ups and not feeling well. So and you understand. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely understand. Mm -hmm. And I just appreciated the openness where she was like, you know what? I'm not feeling well today. And so um, and I think that's important. Vulnerability in in a context when we're also asking for help is although it's scary um, and although it can be uncomfortable, it's going to really offer the other person that's trying to help you an understanding of what you're going through. Maybe not to the death that like obviously we're experiencing it, but they're gonna have enough understanding to know that you need assistance. Mm -hmm. And so communication that is clear, that is early, that is uphand and exposure as really the element that's going to help um, propel your transition from the K-12 environment to the college level forward. And so I think those are the elements that really um, helped me. I feel like you just gave these really, really great tips that are um, not always, uh, not everybody knows about this. Like not everybody knows, oh, I should probably communicate with my professors early. They might wait until the first week or until the first assignment. And, you know, the way that you said it, like sending an email in advance, communicating your needs, even meeting with them face-to-face, -face, all of that is really great advice that unless someone tells you or unless you've been advocating for yourself for so long that you develop that skill, it can be hard for students who maybe, uh, you know, if they develop a disability while they're in college, or maybe they realize it late in life. Um, and so I, I appreciate any time that you share very specific advice and strategies and tips, because those are the things that I know people are going to be writing down, or, you know, jotting down these ideas for things for them to advocate for themselves too. In terms of, I, I know that the disability or disabled community is, is big and expansive and everybody's experience is very, very different. But have you found at least e either through your experience or through your research and even through what you're studying with regard to assistive technology, uh, like what are some common barriers that you've noticed that disabled students experience specifically in higher ed, so in college or grad school. And um, and then since this podcast focuses on first gen, if you can tie it into like how those issues sometimes get compounded when 
uh, or more complicated when they're first gen. Because the example of the tips earlier of sometimes when you're first gen, you don't know that you're allowed to email your professors in advance. And so that to me is one example of how it complicates things. But yeah, going back to common barriers in, in higher ed or or anything that you've noticed from your experience or your research? Um, firsthand, you know, being first gen, or at least for me, I remember I knew that I wanted to go to college, but I, I struggled with like filling out applications and things like that. So I remember we had this little room at my high school that was called um, the College Center, I think it was. And so like that little room became my best friend. And mm -hmm. I remember I became like really close to like the counselors that were inside because they were the ones that I was like, well, it says college. And there was like a bunch of college flags around the room. <laughs> so I think they might be able to help me here. They all and have so, the college flags. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, that's literally how I started to go into that room. And so I remember I would connect for like, and be there and and have conversations. And I remember I would come sometimes and at 6 a.m. it would already be open. And I would like go in there and work on my apps um, while you know a lot of people were just coming to school or preparing for a first period. And so if I had a question about financial aid, which was one of the hardest things, like mm -hmm. I'm like, I hope that I'm feeling this right, like that I'm completing this correctly. And so I remember there was availability for those questions as well. But when it came to the concept of disability, like there was a lot of questions, like how can, how can we best adapt you? Because I remember I had a one-on-one -on -one assistant from sixth grade to 12th grade. And so like, how are you going to navigate college without your assistant? Mm. And so like a lot of people the first question that they had was how can we better serve you? And so like actually sitting down with myself and saying, really, like how, how can they, how can I answer that question? And so I think for me, the part that was difficult was like self-analysis where I had to sit with myself and say, what is it that I need in regards to like time to get to class like how am I going to even to the most basic thing is like how am I going to carry my bags mm. you know how much time do I need between classes so that I have enough time to get there or that I have enough time to walk or go to the calf you know and so like answering answering the the things that appear I don't want to use the word little but the things that appear like answering the small puzzle pieces are going to lead you into knowing what the big questions are. And so I remember like there was a point where I was, and I, and I knew and I said, okay, one of the things that I'm gonna need is I'm gonna need extra times for exams. But that question started when I was like, how am I gonna write the papers? Mm -hmm. how, uh, you know, how much time am I gonna need in between papers? And so when I wrote my first paper and I realized that something that would take 45 minutes for another person took me about an hour and a half or almost two, then I knew that I was going to need extra time for exams. And so like the, the questions that collide is you're figuring out things from college by yourself because, or at least for my case, because I was first gen, I was trying to like, just figure everything out. Like, how do you waive college application fees and I was also trying to figure out how am I going to get help and so like these are two questions that always come together and by you or by me answering all these questions we can then answer to other people that are asking how can we better serve you and so a lot of people are also interested in the implications of like your disability specifically. And so what I mean about that is because there's a lot of people that have cerebral palsy, okay? But because it's such a multifaceted condition, 
just because three people have the same diagnosis on the paper, it doesn't mean that the three are affected exactly the same way. And so I think it's, it's some of the roadblocks that are happening sometimes is that a lot of people, and I think unintentionally, they say, okay, yeah, like, oh, you have cerebral palsy. Oh, I know someone that mm. has it. And so you're like, yeah, but that person's that person and I'm my own person. And so could you actually sit with me so that I can tell you what the implications of how I live through that condition are? And so I think it's, that's one of the biggest roadblocks, like not, or like having to communicate the idea, like it's a different experience for everyone. And so like the next part of it is um, a lot of it that I found in the research was financial, you know, because not every student has the financial, um, uh, you know, ability to be able to acquire assistive technology, especially if it's like the high, high technology, like, um, you know, uh, synthetic speech devices and things like that. And so one of the things that I want to communicate my research and that I actually um, have available is a web page that I'm still finalizing that has available this listing in different cities um, of foundations that can help financially um, students that are trying to obtain these devices. And, and so I would say that the biggest roadblocks are like um, uh, awareness of where assistance can be found and also how we not only communicate our specific um, implications of the disability that we go through, but also how others perceive it because it's under the same name. And so I think um, it's really important for us to um, break the barriers by having these conversations that are as transparent as possible. Because sometimes people don't ask the question, the question, at least for me, I remember there was a a time where I had the opportunity for one of my communication classes to do a, a informative speech. And I did an informative speech on cerebral palsy and the room just went quiet because sometimes people have questions, but they don't ask them because they're not sure if the person's open to answering the question. And so I think, um, you know, everybody can do this at their own pace and at their own comfortableness, but I think it's important to gradually move into openness because we're going to be communicators of what we need when, when as much as we're open. So the degree to which we're open is a degree to which we're understood. And so, um, I think that's, that's really important. Uh, you know, awareness of where this assistance is available, financial assistance, and also open communication and being willing to answer the questions. Like I said, at our own pace, um, but like making sure that we're gradually making a process, a process into that a progression. And so um, the more questions that we answer, the more we're gonna inform. Um, people that are possibly not going through disability or people that are can possibly be going through it and need that guidance because we have upcoming generations that are going to need the guidance that we wish we had at a given time and we're going to be those vessels that say okay we have these resources for you but the way that that's going to be made known is if we're open and we have communication that's effective. I feel like that's a very complicated conversation to have about openness when it comes to disclosing disability, because on the one hand, you have folks who have visible disabilities where there is no option, uh, you know, and then there are folks with invisible disabilities where they may or may not choose to disclose because of fears of discrimination, you name it. Uh, Mm -hmm. But then, you know, if 
when you don't disclose or um, if you're trying to get support, it's hard to get support if people don't have the information necessary to provide you with adequate support. Um, so I'm, I'm just thinking about that um, as you said it, as you said, like trying to move towards being more open because I, I definitely 100% agree, although I know it's a very personal decision. Everyone, like you said, their comfort level is different. Um, and then you mentioned a couple of things like in your college experience, how for you, it was uh, it wasn't just the first gen struggle that a lot of us have of like figuring out like, how do I apply and how do I get financial aid? I don't want to mess up. But then, you know, added to that is, well, how do I make sure that I advocate for myself so that I can get the support I need to survive and thrive in college? And then you added an extra, an extra, I guess, um, element, which is the whole uh, class status and how some folks with disabilities may have access to even more resources because they have the financial means to do so. And I think that's a really good point, especially when you're talking about the assistive technology that you do research on. And so you mentioned a website you're working on. If you have it ready by the time this episode gets released, or even if it's after the episode gets released, shoot me a message so we can add it to the show notes so that folks can check it out because I'm already so excited about that. <laughs> and so I want to hear you tell us a little bit about your research, because I think that is... Um, really, really interesting. Um, just for folks who are not familiar with the use of assistive technology, like what they are, what do they look like? Uh, how do they support different individuals? So, you know, what are, what, what, um, what can you share about that and how disabled students can use them to advocate for themselves better or to get the support they need? Okay. So um, assistive technology can be divided into three categories. And the first category is high level or high tech. Um, and the second category is middle tech. And then the third category is low tech. And so high tech would be like machines used for synthetic speech. Let's say that we have a nonverbal student that needs a form of expression in communication. And so there's um, these um, machines that are activated through eye through eye gaze technology and so like um that's also um the way like the mouse is activated on the computer so we have these very high and um technology devices and then that can really enable the nonverbal student or the student that needs to further expand their vocabulary to have this communication device that grants them a voice in the classroom. And so these um, technology types are very crucial. But even in my research, what I found is that when you have a student that uses this, these devices in your classroom, you have to be aware of like the time that you give them for a response. So some of these devices will take up to three minutes to compile the student response. And so you ask the student a question or you ask let's say you're in a context where you're in a whole class discussion and you want to give the student a chance to have uh, a conversation and a chance to engage, you ask the question, you need to consider that, yes, you want to give other students time, but also factor in the extra time that the student needs, not only to think about the response, but also to compile it through the device mm. and so like just being aware of when we have students that use these devices we have to understand that sometimes our lessons might take longer um and so what are the implications of that um and us being able to make those adaptations that say okay i might not get through as much in the lesson as i've expected because you know, I'm trying to create this environment that is inviting for the student and that is safe. But what I do know is that what I do get through will really not only allow me to teach the student, but also inform me about the student. Because when we hear them speak in class, when we hear them contribute to a discussion, we really know what their learning process is. And are they grasping material? Mm. What do I need to review for these students? And how uh, what we do 
when we make the time to listen to the student is we inject confidence because we allow them to develop their social relationship with, with peers as well. And we teach, um, there's this uh, machine that is used for, that's also synthetic speech. And so one of the strategies that is talked about is have the student that's using the machine pair up with another student that does not use the machine and teach that other student to use cues. Like if I use one finger, um, that's because I'm gonna allow my peer to have enough time to compose their response. When I lift it up again, I'm gonna hear his response and I'm gonna also be thinking about mine and then respond. So what we're doing is also we're team building because mm -hmm. we teach students that everybody has different abilities and different skill levels and that we can work together with all of our peers in any context in order to be effective learners. And so there's a lot of things that come into play when we place these technologies in the classroom. You're giving the other student a voice, but you're also giving the other students that you don't that don't use these devices values to be to become team players, which is something that's really important also in the workforce once they leave the classroom. And one of the things that we have to keep in mind is we're preparing students for things beyond the classroom and for them to be successful even after they leave. And so that's for high tech and middle tech is, uh, it has some level of technology, but it's not as advanced as these machines. And so it can be like a talking calculator for a student that's um, maybe hearing impaired um, and that like still needs that guidance also um, in pronunciation of words. So sometimes like the talking calculator can be useful for individuals with dyslexia if they have difficulty with um, like number pronunciation and they want to like insert particular equations, they have um, talking calculators. Um, they have um, things like uh, mouses that have like specific hand shape for mm. um, specific individuals that struggle with grips. And so the low tech is the one that's little to no technology at all. And that would be pencil grips, different types of scissors. Um, there's um, tabletop scissors where you just put the little loop um, on top of the table and then you grab the paper and then it, it, you have to just press a button in order for it to start cutting. And so like you have different shaped scissors. And so that's basically like the different distinctions between um, technology, like the very high level, the middle level, which means maybe some technology, but it's not as complex and it doesn't require um, uh, as much financial investment. There's still to some degree, but it's not as expensive. And then there's the low tech, which is maybe sometimes a student will only need that. Like I remember one of the things that I struggled with was that I had like a very um, because of the stiffness, my grip, once I would grab onto that pencil, it was so hard, <laughs> like the way that I would grab onto it, that I would like do calluses on oh, my thumbs. Yeah. And so one of the things that they used was like a pencil grip. And so sometimes it'll be that simple adaptation yeah. of using a, a, a pencil grip or an eraser that's not on top of the pencil. Mm -hmm. And like those little things or like even it talks about, uh, part of my research talks about um, the, the spacing between the lines on the paper. And so like there's um, some students that have cerebral palsy um, that do have um, spastic. And so they're only able to hold the pencil um, in upright position. And so each letter is very huge. So mm -hmm. if you're like expecting them to do like a write-up, you, um, you have to provide the white, the wide lined adopted paper. And so like being aware of where these resources are is um, very important. So certainly I will, once I am done compiling everything, I will definitely share with you that website because I think these are all things that um, will be useful for teachers and to know that these things are available so that once they um, maybe come across a student that needs them, 
um, they know where to and how to adopt it and how to apply it through to their unique lesson needs. Where would things like special software, like dictation software or software to record and transcribe um, maybe lecture notes, like where would those types of of tools fall under? Do they fall under like any of those categories? Right, they would fall under high tech, right? Oh. Because you, you still need a, a particular software in order for it to work. But now they might be borderline between high tech and middle tech because mm -hmm. now we have things like, for example, in a Mac, you can press the microphone version and it'll start, like it already has that dictation. I use it all the time. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Microsoft Word. So like that's already considered middle tech because you don't necessarily have to go out there like before and buy like um, dragon speaking. That was one of the um, dragon, dragon dictator. Yeah, dragon yeah. dictator or dragon naturally speaking. Like you don't have to go out there and buy the CD. Like you can actually test out and see if the features that are already on these computers or on Microsoft Word to see how effective those are for you. And so it would it would kind of be borderline between high tech and middle tech. Yeah. Um, because of my chronic illnesses, one of them impacts my vision. So sometimes my vision can get blurry. And so I've found that these types of accessibility features, both on my laptop and also on my phone of reading things out loud have helped a lot. Uh, that's why I was curious. I was like, where, where do those things fall? Um, but I, I, I wouldn't have thought that it could be high level, depending on whether you need that special access to it. Um, so that's really, really interesting. And I, I appreciate you sharing also like the differences in um, between the different levels, because I, I'm not, I wasn't familiar with that. And I think that a lot of the listeners may not know. And so it just helps to differentiate between the different types of technology that and devices that people can use. And I found, I think that the more people learn not just to support others, but they might find that some of these tools are actually quite helpful for, for a lot of folks, you know, mm -hmm. that even if they don't necessarily need to rely on it, they might find it helpful for themselves. I think it's a win-win to learn about these uh, technologies and tools. You already kind of mentioned a little bit of this. You started to mention like how students can be more of a team player and to support um, their disabled uh, peers in classroom settings and how, what professors can do to uh, accommodate students. And so I'm wondering if there's anything else that you want to share about how maybe able-bodied folks in higher ed can promote, promote more inclusive and accommodating environments? Mm -hmm. Um. I think this pretty much goes back to uh, the concept that I initially talked about where about openness. And I always return to this because um, I remember my students when I was doing, uh, in, during my undergrad, when I was doing my student uh, practices, my certain hours that I was required to do as part of my practice, um, I would walk into the classroom and you could, and, and the first thing I would say is, Hi, my name is Miss, and I'm Miss Bracamonte. Or back then, I had a, a um, an alternative, a different last name. But you know, I would mention my name, and they would look at me like they wanted to ask, and they were hoping that I would talk about it. And so, one of the mm -hmm. first things that I would say is, "You guys can ask me any question that you guys want." And so, the first question was most certainly to be like why do you use that? And so they didn't like know the proper yeah. name to it. And so I would like teach them the proper name. And I would say, this is called a walker. And then this is why I use it. And I would share my story in a way that was like age appropriate to that mm -hmm. class. And so I think one of the ways that we can do it is um, teaching a lot of, I, I think it's important for us to teach our students also like emotional awareness. Um, and just like cultivating like principles, even if we start with like a phrase every morning that cultivates students that have understanding, like if we say, or like we have, if we have students practice, like my neighbor is valuable and like things like that and have students 
rest on those principles throughout the week? Um, and how can students practice kindness? Because I think um, like it, it all starts with like emotional awareness and like for them to understand like, yes, your peer might have a disability, but they still have emotions. And so anything that we say or anything that we do can impact their hearts. Mm. And so like if we if we cultivate a classroom that has that posture, we make students or we not make, but we champion students forward, better put into having an awareness of what they say and what they do. And so if we cultivate that environment of respect, then we're going to be able to better cultivate uh, learning. And so I think everything starts with the solid foundation. If we address our relationships, our student teacher relationships and our peer to peer relationships and make sure that they're solid and respectful and caring and aware, then we're going to be able to then move into successful learning. And so, and into, into successful inclusion. And so when students have those principles of care, they see their peer as just my friend. And so my friend, the one that I get to learn with every day, and we cultivate this environment where we all want to succeed, but we also all want to see others succeed as well. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's very important to not neglect um, the emotional awareness factor. Thank you for, for bringing that up. I think that's something that I don't hear about enough when we're having conversations about advocacy um, and about inclusion is, is that emotional awareness that is very, very important. And I, compassion is a big thing for me. It's like a big part of like my platform as well. I really believe that it is powerful to be compassionate and especially self-compassionate too. Um, I wanted to ask, I know you have already started to share some advice, but is there any other advice you want to give to disabled students, specifically first-gen students, uh, first-gen BIPOC students? So let's say there's someone listening out there who's like, yes, I'm disabled, I'm first-gen, you know, I'm a student of color, and, and they are navigating college for the first time. Maybe they're finding themselves struggling at this time, they need a little bit of a pep talk or words of advice, what would you say to them? Um, I would start off by saying always remember why you're where you're at or why you wanted to be part of, let's say you're, let's say you're part of higher ed. Um, always remember why you decided that you wanted to start in the first place. Because one of the things that I can't promise is that there's not going to be days that are hard that you're gonna have days that are gonna be physically hard, that you're gonna have days that are gonna be emotionally difficult. And like, you're gonna have days where even like sometimes communication is difficult, like where other people just, they're trying to understand, but maybe they, they just couldn't, or they missed, they missed what you were trying to say. And so just even on those hard days, just sit and remember, why you're like I remember one of the things that was really helpful for me was the writing process and me just being able to write what I felt or like communicate and so like have this space where you're able to self-evaluate after your day and say like what was good about today and what are things that I can improve on like even the way we we see these things like when we go through challenges and we like let's I, I think I found that rethinking and reshaping the way that I think about my difficult days has really helped um, my ability to just continue forward and so like even the language that we use when we think about these things instead of saying in what ways did what things went wrong today like saying what things can I improve on or what things can be better next time really help sh um, shift our perspective. And so I think that's one of the things that I would say, um, just remember why you started and also be open to self-evaluation so that you understand like what's working and what can be improved. And so that like 
every day is a new opportunity to become better in our advocacy, in our communication, mm. in our friendships, in our, you know, connections with professionals and the opportunities that we seek. And when you get an opportunity to be a voice and share your story, it's going to be scary. It's going to be at first, but just know that there's someone else out there that might need from what you are carrying. And so from what you have to give, there's someone else out there that needs to hear it. And so just be open um, to, to taking those opportunities and being able to seize those opportunities and saying, if there's somebody out there that saw this potential in me, it's because I have it. And so just like be, be willing to walk in and really embrace those opportunities throughout your career. And, and don't be afraid because all of us, even though we're facing um, things like disability, we have things to contribute to the community. And so it's very important for us to take a stand and be strong and say, okay, I'm gonna use my voice and I'm gonna use this. I wanna say that it's challenged because you know, a lot of times it is very challenging. It is very, very challenging. And, I'm, and I wanna say, take this challenge and say, I'm gonna use this challenge to empower others, not only the ones that are going through disability, but also empower to create a community that is aware, that is accepting, that is um, willing to understand. And I think that's how we're going to cultivate change when we rise up and, and we really commit to um, the opportunities that are given and the opportunities that come and just our overall communication. And so just remembering our why, self-evaluating, taking every day as an opportunity to learn and moving forward with every opportunity. Your yes um, is going to um, help a lot of, you know, generations, not only the people that you're now seeing, but also people that are going to come in the future and listen to what you have to say. Um, they're going to be empowered. And so don't be afraid to take that step forward and say yes. You shared so many gems <laughs> it's hard to really pinpoint uh all of them but one thing that actually that uh, still stays in my mind is you said every day is another day to get better at your uh at advocating for yourself I think that is that's a powerful line and then also just reminding people about how important it is to be self-aware to have space and time for self-awareness and for self-evaluation that is so so helpful for anyone but especially for folks uh with disabilities so thank you for your words of advice uh I'm like my I'm getting chills <laughs> we're getting close to wrapping up the episode so I wanted to ask you if there's anything else that you wanted to share that maybe uh, I didn't ask you or that we didn't get to cover yet or any closing words um, I think just for us to, to remember that we can continue to be a powerful voice in the spaces that we're a part of. And so um, continue to, to use that voice um, in order to communicate your needs. And so I, I think it, it has just been a pleasure to be able to be part of this space and be able to um, communicate um, my own experiences. And so just remember that every part of our story is unique. And so just like every part of our story is unique, our needs are unique. But when we come and we take the time to put each puzzle piece together, it creates this trail and this like roadmap that facilitates a lot of the things that we're going to experience um, forward. And so I think one of the things that I just want to um, continue to, to mention is just take that step to know your like surroundings. And what I want to say, what, what I mean by that is when you're about to be a part of something, whether it's a college campus or whether it's like a, a job opportunity, just um, really try to get to know the environment and like have like, okay, 
um, like let's say I get a call to teach somewhere, right? I, I always like to have a first um, impression of the place, like where my exits, where my entrances and things like that. And I think that's very powerful, even thinking beyond the college experience into a workplace, thinking like, what is the extra tools that I might need? And so like, being aware of like where where there stairs is there an access to an elevator i think all these questions and being upfront about the needs is going to really be useful in the workplace as well and so like going and having tours of spaces and always asking the question like oh can i see this space beforehand before i go and engage and be a part of it would you mind um me taking a look at it and seeing if this is the right fit for me, like even thinking about like work-wise, right? And so like all these questions are actually, while we think um, these questions can present a challenge, you'd be surprised to know how many employers say, oh, I'm, I'm happy to see how you're willing to engage in preparation beforehand. And so they actually see it as a plus because they know like, that you have a struggle, but that you're making the effort to know the place that you're going to serve in order to be able to serve it effectively. And so um, those things um, come as a plus and they also um, help us as we prepare to engage in the workforce or to engage in educational facilities. And so um, just don't, don't be afraid to not only communicate the need, but also self-evaluate your spaces and, and be prepared beforehand. And so, but other than that, I'm just really, really grateful for this space. And I, and I just hope that um, through my story and through the things that I shared, I was able to encourage people to just continue forward with their goals and their aspirations and to really not give up no matter how hard the day you have a goal to achieve and you know if I ever hear from anybody that's going to be listening to this podcast I would love to hear that they're just continuing on and they're achieving their dreams and they're becoming a powerful um, voice and powerful advocate in society and for themselves. Well, thank you so much Victoria for being on the show. One one last question for folks who uh, we're um, deeply touched by what you shared, who want to stay connected with you. Is there any way that I, they can follow you or your work? Um, yeah, I have uh, primarily I share a lot of things about daily life and I'm going to start to share a lot more things um, related to education on Instagram and my Instagram platform, which is Victoria dot braca and that's victoria dot b-r-a-c-a um and that's my instagram profile and you might you know read about everything and a little bit of everything every day but if you just want to continue um you know learning about my journey and also if i get the opportunity to be in contact with um folks that wish to continue following me that would be a great pleasure and if i could be a resource and support to anybody i would gladly gladly do it well, make sure to add your Instagram uh, to the show notes as well, so that way folks can be in touch. So once again, thank you so much, Victoria, for coming on the show, for sharing your insights, your knowledge, your experience, so many gems. Muchas, muchas gracias. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Muchas gracias. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half-hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right, one free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school femtoring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtoring.com slash kit to get it today. 
The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at Grad School Femtoring. Thanks again and until next time.